A week before this Harry Potter finale came out, you may have seen that the actor Daniel Radcliffe, who brought Harry Potter to life for hundreds of millions of people, he announced in an interview that he had given up drinking, that he found a couple years prior, around the time of the fifth and the sixth movie, that he had become very dependent upon alcohol and that it started to have harmful effects in his life. Now, this is a man who was about 21 when he said these words. On a certain level, I was completely impressed with him because he made the same realization about his life that I did about mine, except he did it 15 years earlier, that he had to give up alcohol because it was harming him and the people he cared about. So I was impressed with the wisdom of his years and that he was self-knowing enough to understand that he needed to make a change. When I was watching the movie, especially towards the end, how many of you have seen it, by the way? All right, a lot of you. If I mention words like Quidditch or Golden Snitch, as I'm about to in a second, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. If I was going to spend this morning explaining to you all the mythology of Harry Potter, you would have had to pack a lunch, and we would be here until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to get you out of here by 11, though. One of the things I recognized in the movie is that maybe Daniel Radcliffe, the person, took an even deeper inspiration from Harry Potter, from the person that Harry was. In one particular moment, Harry is holding something called the Golden Snitch, sort of the golden ball of Quidditch, the game that they play at Hogwarts Academy of witchcraft and wizardry. And it's one of the most key moments in the movie. And words appear on it. I open at the close. It contains what's called the resurrection stone and protects him in his final ultimate battle with Lord Valdemort, with Tom Riddle. But those words, I open at the close. And when I reflected on that Daniel Radcliffe interview, one of the things I thought was that maybe Daniel Radcliffe walked away from playing Harry Potter with much more than just fame and fortune. Maybe he walked away with a different and deeper way to live his life. In the movie, in the second part of The Deathly Hallows, there is a moment at the very end. It's an epilogue, and it's incredibly brief. It's maybe 90 seconds in the movie. I know it's longer in the book. But for me, the fact that there is an epilogue at the end of this amazing saga is the entire point. If you know the scene, it is this, is that 19 years after all the action ends in the Harry Potter series, we see the characters, Harry and Ron and Hermione, and yes, even Draco Malfoy, who is supposedly so awful the entire time. We see them grown up, and we see them sending their children off for the first time to Hogwarts Academy themselves. And I think I got it in that moment. The epilogue and the fact that there is an epilogue to this amazing cycle and this amazing story, the fact that there is an epilogue is the entire point of the story in the first place. It is a great story, but ultimately it's just a prelude. It is just a prelude to living life and living life meaningfully. And what I believe that epilogue is saying is that all the characters live through these extraordinary events. They have taken everything that has happened to them. They have integrated it and they have also let it go so they could get into the next phase of their life that they were called to grow into. 
Before that epilogue, though, Harry and his friends do battle with Lord Voldemort. And I guess it's okay to say that name now that we know he's finally been put down. Shh, I know. He who shall not be named, right? J.K. Rowling, the wonderful, imaginative writer, she said these words in an interview about Lord Voldemort, about the central part of his character. She said, Voldemort's fear is death. He regards death itself as ignominious. He thinks Lord Voldemort does that is a shameful human weakness that we are mortal. His worst absolute fear is death. One of my teachers in ministry, one of my mentors, Forest Church, says that religion begins in our response to the dual reality of our being alive and having to die. That's where religion begins, taking this insight even a little bit deeper. The Cistercian monk, Thomas Merton, said, if we do not accept the fact that mortality and closings and endings are a part of our life, all of life will become a negation. Life will become a neurosis, a playing around the edges of our life, never entering into the heart of who we are. We will not accept, as the 12-step movement says, life on life's terms. And one of life's terms is that it has, at some point for all of us, an expiration date. Lord Voldemort takes this neurotic impulse of denying death and turns it into a full-fledged psychosis. For all of his power and all of his wizardry and all the things that Lord Voldemort can do, he has no religion. Because he cannot accept this most basic fact, that to be human, even to be magical, is to be mortal. And that life is change, and that peace and wisdom, in whatever measure we will have it in our lives, comes through this acceptance. As that book of Ecclesiastes, from which turn, turn, turn is taken, says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Now, that might sound depressing to you. It actually isn't. If we can accept that we are mortal and hold this fact against our bones, then, in fact, we will be liberated to absolutely love our lives fully and without fear. Before Lord Voldemort was Lord Voldemort, before he wanted to make himself not human and do inhuman things and cause so much suffering and misery, he was a young, scared, angry child named Tom Riddle. And he discovers, as many people do in Hogwarts in the world of magic, that there is these things called horcruxes. And he decides that what he will do is disintegrate, literally take apart his soul and place a little piece over here in this horcrux and a little piece in another and a little piece in another and a little piece in another just to ensure that he will never die. He takes his life apart because he is so afraid of death. I love that in the very climactic scene, the final battle between Harry and Lord Voldemort, Harry doesn't call him by his big name, his Lord name. He says, let's finish this, Tom. He reminds him that even though you've rejected the fact that you had a human identity once, I know that it's deep down in there. Harry is modeling a way of being in this life that's saying, even if we have a painful past and even if we're living through painful things, that still it is a part of us and the path to wholeness is accepting. In probably the most chilling brief scene in this movie for me, we see an image, an image 
of the stillborn Tom Riddle, the Lord Voldemort, in the afterlife as J.K. Rowling sees it. And he is not living and he is not dying. He is trapped in this place of a no man's land because he cannot and refuses to live his life with any integrity. I remember a movie whose title I cannot recall and I googled it. So maybe y'all can help me out if it rings a bell for you. You've done this before with me, by the way. All of us together are much smarter than just me individually. But I remember this movie. I think it's either in a boarding school setting or in a military setting. And all the sort of young men are walking around feeling strong and cocksure and completely arrogant. And one of them calls the others out. He says, I remember when you came here, you cried for your mother every night. I remember when you came here, you still used to wet the bed. That's what Harry is saying to Lord Voldemort, you have a past, and the path to peace is integrating who we are. This is one of our core values at Wellsprings, living with integrity. That is not some high-faluting, virtuous goal that we can call ourselves a personal of integrity, and we've got that quality and it never goes away. No, integrity is an act, and it is about putting ourselves together day after day after day. We say we are a community of deep listening. Listening. Possessing the humility and a word some of us like and a word many of us don't like. Possessing the vulnerability necessary so we are able to make positive change. Lord Voldemort to me brings home one of the ironclad laws of the spiritual life and it's this. I have no idea what that says. If I, well, I, I do because I wrote it. Actually, I didn't write it. I came up with the words behind it and I had a friend of mine who's a neuroscientist put it together. What it says in math terms is this. The fear of death is inversely proportional to the love of life. Amen. Lord Voldemort lives this out about as strongly and as negatively and as awfully as any character that I have ever Met. His fear of death is so strong that he cannot, does not have any love within him. And this fear of death is not just about our physical death. It's not about the actual end of our lives all the way at the end, whenever that is. It's about the little death every day, the closings, the stuff that just comes up when we have to let go, which also at the same time leads, if we will accept those closings, to the next openings and fruitful emptiness that is waiting for us because Lord Voldemort cannot accept this basic essential wisdom that closings and endings are inextricably linked with our life he cannot grow he cannot include his past experience and then expand and grow into what is to come in one of the key moments of the movie, there's a character, and I haven't read a lot of the books, so maybe you know this character a little bit more than I do, a guy named, sort of humorously, Neville Longbottom. He's sort of a classic upper-class English twit, you know, if you uh, remember that from Monty Python. And he's a little bit of a joke, I think, in the character, at least that's how they present him in the movie. But in the moment after Hogwarts has been laid waste through Voldemort's awfulness, and the people that Neville Longbottom loves are laying dead all around him. 
his ultimate answer, not from a place of stoicism, but of a place of fierce, deep, loving resolve. He says to Lord Voldemort, people die every day because it's almost as if Lord Voldemort is wanting to say, look at all the destruction I have. I have the deepest power that there is in life. But Neville Longbottom actually affirms something that I remember from the Hebrew scriptures and something that has always stayed in my heart from the beautiful poetic song of Solomon, the song of songs in which it says that truly love is stronger than death. He affirms that there is something deeper in this life than the fear of our mortality. See, the fear of our mortality or the fear of endings will sometimes get us to do awful things, things we would not wish. How we handle endings is so keenly linked to our spiritual maturity in this life. Just to pick two of the most famous, if you will, religious models, Jesus and Buddha, both handled their deaths and their endings in such a way as to say you can integrate what has come and then you have to let it go to enter into the next phase of life. When Jesus comes back in the resurrection stories in the Gospels, he hangs out for a little while. He has something to eat. And then he says, it is time for me to go. I'm going to be here with you. Pardon me. We'll always be here with you, but not what you see right now. Buddha in his dying moments on his deathbed, surrounded by the people who loved him the most, people who followed him. He said, be you lamps unto yourselves. He was not saying, get out of my light because you're blocking it and I want to see he was saying, don't attach yourself so close to me that you forget that what is in me is also in you and you can awaken as well. This ability to integrate what has happened and then move beyond it. This is not just the secret to true leadership. It is the secret to true life. It is the secret and the practice of true love. It is the ultimate rejection of this little piece of non-wisdom. The one who dies with the most toys wins. The thing is, we treat that as a joke. But I have met a lot of people in this life who functionally believe that. Functionally, that's their God. They believe if they just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate, they got a little Lord Voldemort in them. They believe if they just get the most toys and die with them, that somehow they will go out on top. You know, a long time ago... Uh, most of us gave up the practice of the ancient pharaohs, which is being buried with all of our stuff. That's just not the way it is. So sometimes we say it in this way. You can't take it with you. Well, I don't think that's quite right either. So I've come up with a new slogan. It actually nearly isn't cliched as much as the other one is too long, but it still works. <laughs> the one who plays with their toys and shares them wins their life. I would say the one who plays and share, plays with and shares their gifts, gives them away, wins their life. I would say the one who suffers their sorrows intentionally, mindfully, presently, and mourns them and allows themselves to be supported in their mourning, they will win their life. That's the point of the epilogue in the story. When we get to see Harry grow up, Harry's reward is not that he's the greatest wizard. Harry's reward is that he's Harry. The one thing that Lord Voldemort never wants to be. He never wants to be himself. Harry Potter gets to come of age. Lord Voldemort wants to be no age at all. The real world articulation of this is something I think I've shared with you before, but it really came to mind. 
It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And by the way, I'm not saying that Arnold Schwarzenegger is Lord Voldemort. (laughs) Although, if you ask Maria Shriver, she may in fact say that that is the case. I remember an interview this past spring with Arnold Schwarzenegger in which he said upon turning six years old, he looked at himself in the mirror and he said, my God, what an absolute beating that he looked at himself, even with everything that he's done this life, everyone, everything that he's accomplished, even with the millions that he's earned. He looks at himself turning older and he thinks and sees their only loss. He has lacked the ability to integrate what his life has done and meant and move forward into next where he is called. I want to focus on those young actors again, which for me is really the epilogue beyond the movie epilogue. The story or a little bit of the quotes that Daniel Radcliffe shared about why he felt he had to give up drinking because it was causing him harm, was this, he said. He said, there were a few years there where I was just so enamored with the idea of living some sort of famous person's lifestyle that really wasn't suited to me. With fame comes always that little bit of desire to be Lord Voldemort. And so I think what Harry needed to do, excuse me, What Daniel needed to do is to let Harry go in order to become Daniel. That is my wish for Daniel Radcliffe and for Emily Watson and for Rupert Grint. For any person, any of those young actors who we saw come of age over the last decade, that they can leave their persona and behind as well, that they can take great pride in what they have done, but then let it go, that they will not become like Michael Jordan. If you're a basketball fan, you know that he was the greatest of all time. And every time he opens his mouth to speak in public these days, he is fighting battles that happened a decade or 15 years ago. He is still so furious about things that happened, even though he won. He beat every competitor he ever had, and yet he is still so mired in little petty jealousies and in his desire to get the last word. He cannot live out the wisdom, or seems not to be able to live out the wisdom. I don't want to judge any person's inner life. He seems not to be able to live out this beautiful, great prayer from St. Augustine, who prayed that God is always wanting to place new life into our hands, but we cannot grasp that new life if we already are clinging so tightly like a death grip to what we already have. That prayer, Buddha's death, Jesus' death, life here right now for all of us, invites us all to integrate what has happened to us and then to go forward. Now, how to do this? I think J.K. Rowling gave us actually a wonderful model in this. The part of the movie that really emotionally affected me the most, the part that got the waterworks going, it wasn't the death of a whole bunch of people I knew was coming. It was the death of Severus Snape. The death of Severus Snape, who seemingly for most of the novels was Harry's, next to Lord Voldemort, chief antagonist. And it turns out what we see at the end of Severus Snape's life 
is that he has been a secret protector for Harry and has had to take on the awful duty of being in league with Lord Voldemort to be able to protect Harry. And J.K. Rowling, brilliant writer that she is, knows exactly this ancient practice of Egypt and of Greece. That it said that the ancients collected their tears in little jars because tears are not something to be hid. Tears are not something to be ashamed of. And te- instead, tears were something that were seen as an offering that we give back to life to express life's meaning and value. And so in his dying moment after Severus has been betrayed by Lord Voldemort, he calls Harry over because he wants Harry to know his wholeness. He wants Harry to know his story. And he collects these tears and he takes them back up to Dumbledore's office. And sorry if you don't get any of this. I don't think I really do either. And he puts them into a pool and he puts his head in the pool and he sees Severus's Snape's story. He sees that his seeming enemy, in fact, was looking out for him all the time. We can see, as Thomas Merton also wrote about, Snape's hidden wholeness that was there all along. That's the model. Storytelling. Honest storytelling. As I heard a young writer at a uh, website called Sweeping Zen this past week say, it's become something of a popular Buddhist website, kind of a, um, an aggregate of all kinds of Buddhist things on the web. And he revealed that even though the, the blog and the website has been very, very popular, that he's a convicted felon. Ten years ago, as a young man, he did some really stupid, foolish things and robbed a bunch of people. And he said, here, I'm not here to ask you to forgive me. He said, but this is the truth of my life. And then he ended with these words. Don't let your past run your life. Live in this moment and keep going forward. Do not let our past run our life. Live in this moment and keep going forward. And to know that this kind of deep and soulful integration takes time. I believe sometimes it has to come with our tears, as Snape showed us. It has to come with storytelling. It has to come with allowing other people to see the truth of ourselves, even if we are afraid of that truth ourselves. All the spiritual practices in the world basically add up to this. They teach us to open up space within ourselves to let life in, And to let life out. To use a technological phrase, I believe that spiritual maturity shows itself in great big bandwidth. That we will allow the information, the experience of our lives to flow from us and through us and into us and out of us. Harry Potter has great spiritual bandwidth. Lord Voldemort has none. Harry has the ability, as all of us who aspire to grow spiritually do, to say, this happened, it happened to me, it happened to you, it helped, it hurt, it healed, it harmed, whatever it is, we are dedicated to trying to understand it as much as we can, and then understanding that no understanding is ever total, we then ask the more important question, now what do I do with it? How do I shape it and share it so that I can continue to awaken and other people may continue to awaken as well? What I hope for those young actors is that they are asking themselves this question right now. 
that actually in time they will stop saying, I was Harry Potter, or I was Hermione Granger, or I was Ron Weasley, or even that J.K. Rowling will stop saying, I authored Harry Potter. She will never write anything as famous. That doesn't mean she's done her best work. Her best work might actually be in front of her, but she's written something akin to the Bible for this generation. How do you top that? You don't, and you give up trying to. So I hope that all of them, as I hope for all of us as well, that we don't hide behind behind the personas or the masks of our achievements or our losses. I hope that that those young actors and that author can say, instead of I did this, that in time they will come to say only this, I gave happiness to millions. I gave happiness to millions. And now I'm ready to move on. Even Harry Potter, as amazing as it is at some point in the future, will become just another story. It'll be taught and told, but other big stories will come along to replace it. And that's just the way of our world. Such great stories reveal the kind of love that create and recreate our hurting and hopeful world generation after generation after generation. The same lesson is true for each and every one of our lives. See, for relatively few of us, for relatively few of us will the world completely remember our specific names. Really, there's two ways we can try to ensure this. To either try to be or actually be in some real ways Harry Potter or Lord Voldemort. To do something so amazingly earth-shakingly good or to do something so amazingly earth-shakingly awful that we have seared our names into the collective memory of humankind, most of our lives aren't going to be that way. And I think until we accept that, we won't be liberated to see the deeper truth, which is that the lingering of our meaning, what we are willing to hand off and share day after day after day after day, that this is always ongoing even eternal, even when our names are forgotten. I find great peace in this. I'm able to let go and just try to love as best as I can. And one of the final acts in the movie that says that Harry is ready to integrate and move forward, he breaks the elder wand. The wand that Lord Voldemort killed so many for because it was going to give him the ultimate power. Harry could have held on to it. It was properly his wand. And he breaks it and he throws it into the mists. Harry doesn't want to be invincible. And neither should we. Harry affirms something better. And hopefully we can as well. That even after every spell is broken, love spell, God spell, heart spell, Buddha spell, any kind of spell, any kind of spell, even after the spell is broken, the magic still continues. It is to be handed on. It is to be handed over. It is to be paid forward. And to live in this way, to live in this way, 
is certainly a path of peace. This day, may you be integrated with your story. Face what it is. Love it for what it is. And may you move forward. Amen, and may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Spirit, may we learn to treasure that sacred emptiness. That liberating insight that our lives are not full to the brim. That there is so much more calling us onward and into in our lives. May we love the joys, lament and mourn the sorrows, recognize the closings as the disguised openings that they are. May we have that capacity of soul and spirit to open at our many closes and in this way to be deeply blessed. Amen.